Today's video was recorded on December 14th, 2021, and it is part one of a short two-part series on the book of Judges. For many modern Christians, the book of Judges is one of the last places we go in our Bible. It's not an easy book. There's a lot of strange names, strange city names, and the characters, frankly, are often anything close to being endearing to us. But I think there are important lessons for all of us in the book of Judges that have to do with the decline of societies. So there's an important thread running through the book that shows a repeating cycle that declines as time moves on, and it ultimately leads Israel to the edge of chaos and civil war. So in this video, we're going to flesh that cycle out of the text so you can see it in the narrative. And secondly, we're going to look at a parable, or perhaps technically a fable that's in Judges chapter 9, that provides a warning about who you choose to be in leadership. And I think that'll be clear after we look at the characteristics of the tree that they ultimately make king over them. On a logistical note, for our videos in 2021, we've been including a link in the description section to the class handout, which is in a PDF format. Now, you can also find the class handout posted on our website, bigtreeteaching.com, and that will be found along with the associated lesson. So when you hear me in the video, or the podcast for that matter, when you hear me mentioning the handout, you're welcome to download that as well, and that can help you follow along, take your own notes, reflect on it later, etc. That's the reason we put it there for you. So make sure you look below in the description section for that link to the class handout. Now, as 2021 draws to a close, if you've found value in our Bible lessons, we ask that you would consider a year-end donation to Fig Tree Ministries. Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely entirely on the donations from our generous supporters. So your donation directly impacts our ability to continue to create lessons that help people go deeper into the biblical texts. So you'll find a link to our donation page in the description section below. We so appreciate your generous support as we work to expand God's kingdom here on earth. So we hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the book of Judges, and I hope that you can see that this lesson still applies in our world today. Okay, so two weeks of Judges. It's way more complex. The book is complex. The book is not easy. Uh, there's lots of names and places and strange stories going on, so it's, a, it's not an easy book for Christians to... to uh, dive into, what I'm going to do is just take like a 10,000 foot view. We're going to look at the big picture of what's happening throughout this whole book, because that everybody can see. Once you know it's there, it makes sense. But if you wade into Judges and you try to figure out what's happening, it's, it can be a confusing book. If I had to title this, uh, I'll just call it A Descent into Chaos. Because what Judges is depicting is just that. As the Israelites get stuck in these cycles, they're getting worse and worse and worse. And at the end of the book, it's just utter chaos and civil war. And, of course, that leads then to the next book is Ruth, and that's the birth of somebody who's going to bring along King David. You can see that redemption will eventually be there, but it is a descent into chaos. All right, the picture that you see on your screen, that is what's called Mount Gerizim. So Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans worship. 
So when Jesus is having this discussion with the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, well, you worship on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is a prominent mountain in the Old Testament. And the Samaritans had their worship site up there. Very tall mountain. Um, the Samaritans still do their worship site up there. They follow the Old Testament. They, they do, still do Passover sacrifice and everything. All of the hotels up on Mount Gerizim are called the Good Samaritan Inn. They know how to market to Westerners that show up in Israel, or in Palestine in this case. The city you see in the background there, so a whole bunch of buildings back here in the valley, that's the modern-day city of Nablus, which is in the West Bank, Palestinian area. Ancient city, Shechem. So tonight, the whole uh, parable that we're going to look at all takes place right here. He's shouting the parable from Mount uh, Gerizim. He's telling it to the citizens of Shechem, which are down in that valley. So that's what we'll see in, uh, in the story. So the book of Judges, as I uh, mentioned, we're just going to do it. It's going to be a, a high-level uh, overview, not my intent to go way into detail. Uh, we'll talk about these cycles of governance, and really the whole book of Judges is something about governance, government, and what appears to be the cycles of collapse and rising of nations, that nations rise up and then nations collapse. And we're seeing the collapse of Israel uh, in, this, in this book. Okay, so just a couple notes. Um, this is kind of our overview, is the main idea that we'll do tonight that will lead us into next week is that throughout the book of Judges, you see a repeating cycle, a repeating cycle that has a downward trend. And well, I'll show you the verse in uh, Judges. If you want to open your Bible to Judges 2, that's where we're going to do some reading. But um, there's a downward cycle. And you can see that every time the cycle comes around, it gets worse and worse and worse um, than it had before as things are devolving around them. So there's an idea in the ancient world, they saw the cosmos as one giant cycle. And the idea wasn't to get out of the cycle and move forward on a trajectory of, say, spiritual growth or personal growth or anything like that. The idea was to harness the power inside the cycle. And the whole world lived like this until the Old Testament shows up and the Jews. And the Jews break that cycle. And they begin to say, no, you pay attention to your history so that you don't repeat it, and you work on your ethics, and you work on your own moral standing and your being, and you can see that the judges is maybe around year 1,000. By the time you get to the prophets, 500 years later or 400 years later, it's all about your behavior. Stop acting that way. So they're stuck. It makes sense that you would find these cycles in judges. They're kind of stuck with an emphasis on power. Everything in the book of Judges is power. There's no moral exemplars at all. Okay, so here's what we're going to see. The cycle then goes on, and every time it cycles around, and that's what we'll talk about today and what's on your handout, is the cycle. I'll show you how this thing lays out. Every time the cycle goes by, it gets worse and worse and worse than the time before. And then 
It ends with Samson and Delilah. We'll talk about that next week. And then the very last, the, the final three chapters of the book end with this repeated phrase, in those days, Israel had no king. Nobody was leading the bunch. And the idea was the king was going to be able to hold everything together. But this is what you see, this downward cycles. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what those cycles are. I'll show you where they are in the text. Because once you see that, it's like, oh, now I kind of got the book of Judges. I see where this whole thing's headed. And the author, whoever's putting this book together, is very intentional in using these specific phrases. So, okay, repeating downward cycle. That's the most important thing about the book. Then we're going to look at right in the middle of those cycles is a parable, the first parable of the Bible. And the parable is genius once you understand the a very specific tree that they're pointing at that he's using in the parable. And that's always the difficulty with the parable is to understand the details of whatever, either whether it's a Jesus parable or whoever's telling the parable, you have to understand the details. And then one thing to note, I don't know that we'll get into it a lot this week, but next week, it's a highly symbolic book. So there's an, there's an old saying that God communicates to the culture within, he communicates culturally, right? So if God was talking to 21st century Americans, he would speak like us, but he's not. He's talking to very ancient Near Easterners. And so that means that the book is written very symbolically, and the book is written in a way that they would understand, but we don't always get. We don't always pick up on everything that's going on, because we, we don't think that way. We're not Easterners, and we're not ancient Easterners at that. There's a, a scholar named Kenneth Bailey, and he would always say, he was an Eastern scholar, lived over in in the East, and he would say, the Bible was written for us, meaning we can take it and learn the lessons, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to Easterners by Easterners. So there's a lot of symbolism, and there might be one or two things I'll point out today, but that can also make the book very difficult. And we'll do more on the symbols next week. So number one on your sheet is I want to talk a little bit about the name Judges because it's misleading. And I think I mentioned this last week, but it's worth repeating. Um, because when we think judge, we think somebody who's sitting in a legal, on a law court, a judicial scenario. And that word, uh, it probably should be the book of leaders, maybe. So uh, just for the video to make sure that People know where I'm going with this when they're, if they're watching it later and they want to go investigate the word that's behind judges. Hebrew, every word comes from the root of a verb. So you always look at the verb. What does the verb mean? Then they add a couple letters or two and it makes a noun. So the verb is shapat. That's the verb. And the verb literally, it means to exercise a process of government. Now, we don't think a judge as somebody who exercises a process of government. We think of a judge as someone who um, sits in between a debate and then, you know, like a referee. But it's really more leader. So you could say it's a group of leaders and very specifically, as I'll, I'll show you tonight, military leaders. Because many of them are, God raises them up so that they could go 
uh, take care of this enemy who's oppressing them. So judges is really about leadership or governance, and once in a while, there are military leaders at that. Lots of battling going on uh, throughout the book of Judges. So this is kind of the main thing. Just I didn't want to go into a whole lot of data just on the book itself, but it bears mentioning that Judges, in our mind, conveys something different than the Hebrew word to exercise government, which is leadership or governance. So, and I think you'll see the entire book shows you what happens with poor leadership, because you, what you'll do is just devolve into chaos. All right, so that's just number one. Number two, and this is the, if you get anything out of uh, this lesson, it's this cycle right here. Because once you see the cycle, it shows up, uh, it shows up six times, uh, at least prominently six times, and um, it follows the same uh, pattern each time. So they're very intentional about when they wrote the book. So the cycle, and this is depicted on your handout, I, I'm going to begin the cycle, at least in this case, at peace. We're assuming that you want to be at the top of the cycle at peace. That's the best place to be. So there's peace in the land. But what happens in a country when there's too much peace over time? Well, people forget the struggle. They forget God. And this is exactly what you'll see as the book is explaining this cycle. There's peace, but as the generations go by, they forget God. And so they start a downward trajectory around the cycle. As they forget God, we're going to see a phrase that says, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You'll see that phrase at the beginning of each, six, of each cycle. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They start following other gods. Because they follow other gods, they descend lower in the cycle. And God sends an oppressor, another, a neighboring country. Because you're worshiping other gods, the punishment out of Deuteronomy is, is you'll have an oppressor coming at you. So they experience oppression. They descend even further, and eventually uh, the people cry out. They can't take it anymore. God, help us. And they cry out to God. And of course, what does God do? Well, you're at the lowest point. God sends a deliverer. And this is what we would call the judge. He sends a leader. Now, the word they use uh, in the Bible, a deliverer or a savior. Same, uh, it's the word that the root word that Jesus' name is. Jesus' name means uh, Yah will save, meaning God or God will save. That's Jesus' name. So it's the same word. And they save them from that situation. So there's a salvation component to it. The deliverer leads them out of the chaos. They lead them back to God. And when they're back to God, peace in the land. And that's the cycle. And wait till we start reading, you'll immediately see the cycle jump out at you. If you don't know it's there, it's like you, you just don't pick it up. You have to be so familiar with the text. But every scholar will point this out about the book of Judges, because it's one of the more prominent things. Okay, peace in the land. They descend. They start doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. God sends an oppressor. They're oppressed by another uh, a, a pagan nation. Eventually, they cry out. God sends a leader, or as we would say, a judge, who's going to deliver them out of the situation. 
lead them back to God, they cycle back around, peace in the land. Okay, that's the main cycle. Now let's go to the text, because this is where you can see that the author is going to be very intentional about telling you about the cycle, okay? So turn, if you will, to Judges 2, 9 and, well, it starts at verse 10. So Judges 2, verse 10 to 19. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'll read enough that you'll see it. And then we'll look at two examples of this cycle uh, in the text. So Judges 2, 10 to 19. Maybe you have a country that you're thinking of that has forgotten about God and has, is descending into chaos. I don't know if, any, if there's any countries that come to mind, but I think you, could, you can understand this cycle as, as things kind of shift around in societies. So, okay, Judges 2, 10 to 19. I'm just going to read a few verses because what the author's doing is in, in Judges chapter 2, he kind of tells you the whole thing. He gives the whole summary. Here's what's going on. And then as, then as the book takes off, he shows you six main components of this happening. So let's go. So starting at verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, so you can see they're living in peace. The, the older generation passes away. Uh, keep going. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So you have a generation of uh, uh, descendants that grow up not knowing God. Verse 11, and here's where we see this phrase. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, served the pagan gods. So there they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of people around them. They, they aroused the Lord's anger. That's verse 12. Okay, moving on to verse 13. Because what happens when God gets angry? In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. So there's the enemy coming after them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist, because they're all chaotic. They're not following God. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn. So they're, they're experiencing that, that oppression. And then it says, they were in great distress. Now, what do you do when you're in great distress? You're at the bottom of the barrel, or the bottom of the bottle, or you're at the bottom of whatever it is that you're at the bottom of. You cry out. Now look at verse 16. What happens next? Verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges or leaders. That's the word shapat that we looked at, or shoptim, who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So there's God raising up the, the judge, the leader, that's going to pull them out of their uh, oppressive chaos and turn them around and bring them back to God. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. So, the Lord raised up a judge who saved them. And that word saved is the same root word that Jesus' name is built out of. He's the Savior. He's God will save, and that's Jesus' name. So, he has, to, he has to live up to his name. 
So there's the idea of salvation or deliverance that happens repeatedly out of the chaos. Okay, now go to verse 19, because this was where it explains that the cycle keeps getting worse, right? But when the judges died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Every time that cycle goes around, they're more corrupt than they were before. And that's why I showed you that one depiction of it kind of arcing downward towards the chaos of the civil war that's going to be at the end. Okay, so there you can see the Judges 2, 10 to 19 is a description of this, our little model there. They were at peace. The generations went by. They forgot about God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God sends an oppressor. They cry out. Now a judge or a leader comes, delivers them out of that. They go back to God. Okay, now, I want you to move down to, because um, you'll see now how clearly this is going to jump out at you. Go to Judges 3, 7 to 11, and this is going to be the first of the cycles. So Judges 3, 7 to 11. And if you look at verse 7, you'll immediately, it'll jump out at you, the beginning of the cycle. So it says, verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There you go. So that's how you know, that's the beginning of, and each one of the leaders, there's six main ones, that's how their, their story starts out. So the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baal's the Baals and Asherahs. Now, what happens when you start serving other gods? The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them to the hands of their enemies. And the Israelites were subjected to them for eight years, the text says. That's verse 8. Verse 9, what happens after subjection? They cried out to the Lord. There's your, they finally can't take it anymore. They cry out to God. And, the, and then keep going in verse 9, he raised up for them a deliverer. Someone who's going to save them from their situation. So this is, happens to be Caleb's younger brother. And then it says, Caleb's younger brother who saved them. There's the depiction of salvation that happens. So that's the whole, you can see that cycle being narrated out. So it helps to draw a picture to get it in your mind. Now look at verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came down on him so that he became Israel's judge or leader. So the judge, and he went to war. Now he's a military leader in that case. So it's not just a judge who sits on a bench, but a military leader who leads them. By the way, in the Old Testament, Spirit of the Lord is used. That's, well, that would be the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is used. But that Lord is the yud heh vav -Hey, the name that you're not supposed to say. By the time you get to the first century, Holy Spirit is the, the phrase they're using to talk about the Spirit of God. But right there in verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then last, if you look at verse 11, so they had peace for 40 years. and then. He died. 
All of the segments are there. Evil in the eyes of the Lord. God sells them out to the enemies. They cry out. He raises up a deliverer, deliverer who saves them, and then they go back into peace. But look at the very next verse, verse 12. They immediately start another cycle. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this is cycle number two. Because they did this, the Lord gave them over to the uh, king of Moab. And he attacked them and oppressed them. And then it says in verse 15, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. So they're there at the bottom of that cycle. And what did the Lord do? He gave them a deliverer. In this case, Ehud, and he, they put in the detail, a left-handed man. So there's a, one of these just tiny details that you, will eventually make some sense if you read that story. But anyways, that's what I want to show you, is that cycle. You go through that story, there's peace in the land, and then if you turn just one more chapter or look at the end of verse, at chapter 3, look at the first verse in chapter 4. And this is where Deborah, the judge Deborah, comes in. So chapter 4, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So you can see what this author, what the author is doing. He gives you the pattern in chapter 2, and then each time a more significant judge comes up, this is how their story begins. And it shows you they're going right back into that cycle. Now, if you want, you can flip your uh, handout over to the to number... I think it's number three. Let me, let me look on the back here. Oh, yeah, number three. So this phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, shows up six times. And the six times are on prominent leaders, Samson and Gideon and Deborah. Well, I'll go over them in a second. But the prominent leaders, prominent meaning they gave you information about it. The interesting thing is, though, is there's six minor leaders as well in the book of Judges. Now, if you have a book that has a total of 12 leaders, you might say, hey, that sounds something biblical, doesn't it? There's 12 tribes, there's 12 leaders, there's 12 disciples. So the number 12, because that's the number of judges, the book explicitly tells you um, I'm not going to go into the minor ones because some of them are just one sentence. But just so you know, 12 obviously is, a, is an important number when it comes to governance. That's 12 disciples. Okay, so uh, on your back, on the back of your sheet, number three, I'm just going to, we're not going to go into this into detail, but I wanted you to have them if you want to go back and review the six locations where you'll find that phrase. So there's um, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah. You'll find him in the book of Hebrews. He's listed as one of the heroes. And then, of course, Samson, and we'll talk about Samson next week. So we're not going to go read those, but I just wanted you to know where you can find the, that phrase, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, now, inside that cycle... Now what I want you to do is turn to chapter 9 in Judges, because inside that cycle is going to be an event and a parable, and this is the first parable that we find in the Bible, and it's, well, you'll see, it's a brilliant parable. All of them are brilliant, but 
you could call it the parable of the trees because it's the trees that are want want a king. And if you turn to Judges nine, all of it happens in Judges nine, and I'm just going to loosely describe uh, what's going on. But it's all taking place right here at that in that picture behind you, Mount Gerizim and Shechem. You'll see those two names uh, show up, and Judges nine. If you followed along, Gideon just died. So Gideon was the leader. Gideon dies. Now who's going to take over? Well, Gideon had a lot of sons. He had over 72 sons. Now, this is where the uh, symbolic nature of judges, because some scholars argue it's probably a symbolic number. But it says, you'll see it in the text in a minute, that he had 70 sons, or at least 70. There's 70 nations. Um, that number 70 is repeated in the chapter. That's why scholars sometimes think, well, there's probably something symbolic going on. But one of his sons wants to be the king. And so what he's going to end up doing is murdering all of his brothers um, to become king. So if you look at chapter 9, verse 1, this is how the chapter starts out. There's a guy named Abimelech. He's the son of Jerubbaal. Now, Jerubbaal, you're like, who's that? Well, that's Gideon. So they switch names on you. That's not helpful. So Abimelech, and Abimelech means, um, it means my father, the king, because Gideon was the king. And then it says, Abimelech went to his mother's brothers in Shechem. That's the city right back in that valley in Shechem. And he's going to say to them, look, you don't want all those, other, all those other sons in charge of you. I'm your blood. Why don't you just make me the king, and uh, then I'll rule over you. And so they say, okay, yeah, you can be the king. And he says, well, give me some money, 70 shekels, by the way. There's the repeating 70. And he gets a bunch of people. He goes over and, um, well, let's look at verse 5. So look down at verse 5. So it says, he went to his father's home, now the father is Gideon, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers. So that's where you get the idea of 70 brothers for this guy, or at least 70 sons. So this is not a good way to become king by murdering a bunch of, or by murdering all your brothers. But one brother, it says, but Jotham, the youngest son of uh Jerubbaal escaped by hiding. So one brother gets away. And this is going to be the guy who in a minute will read the parable that he's going to say. So he escapes and he's going to go back and warn the people at Shechem. So if you look at verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7. So when Jotham was told about what Abimelech did, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim, that's where I'm standing when I took that picture, and he shouted to them, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And now what's going to follow is a parable, and we'll read it in a minute, but I got to tell you about a tree before we get there. So he's, he's going to give them a lesson about what they just did by selecting Avi Melech as their king. and. Then we're going to get the parable of the trees. The trees want a king. 
they go to the olive tree first, then they go to the fig tree, then they go to the vine. And then when all of them said, no, no, thank you. I don't want to be king. They go to a tree called, in Hebrew here, a tod. Now, your Bible probably says bramble or thornbush down in verse 15. But the Hebrew word is a tod, and a tod means thorn. So if your book says thornbush, it's not completely wrong, but you have to know the specific tree that has thorns and that's very helpful. So this is a picture of an atad tree. Doesn't look like much, but it's very specific tree with very specific characteristics. This Atad tree is at the uh, city of Gezer. Um, if anybody's been to Gezer. As a way of reference, let me just, uh, oh, let me just say this. Understanding this tree, and we'll go over the characteristics in a minute. You'll see how it fits in the parable. Understanding this tree is key to understanding the parable. And if you're interested in doing any research on this, or you wanted a, a reference to it, uh, there's a gentleman, uh, but, well, he passed away, but his name is Noga Harvini, and he wrote a book called Tree and Shrub in Our Biblical Heritage, and Noga, his parents, Dr. and Dr. Harvini, they were both PhD botanists, lived in Israel, and they studied all the plants in Israel and the plants of the Bible, and then Noga Harvini went on to run a um, a sanctuary, a plant sanctuary there in, in, in Israel. And so he says, here's the tree, here's the atad that they're talking about, is this one right here. So we have to ask, well, what is it about that tree that they know that it's in, that it's in the text? So uh, this is number five on your handout. So the atad tree, that tree in the background, first of all, it is a fruit tree, but the, it's not a fruit tree that the Israelites used to sustain themselves. The fruit is not abundant. The wild atad barely has any fruit. Today, there's domesticated atad trees, that, and they've gotten the fruit to grow a little bit larger. But it is a fruit tree, but not an abundant fruit tree. So it doesn't provide for the people. That's one of the key things. This tree doesn't do anything for the people. One of the benefits of an atad tree, and almost the only benefit of the atad, is shade. We're going to see this in the parable. So the, the shepherds use the atad tree for shade in the heat of the day. If you're a wheat farmer, you can, you can take a break from farming your wheat and go sit in the shade of an atad. But if you own an orchard, so if you happen to own an orchard, say, uh, olives, or grapes, grapevines, or fig trees, you want to get rid of atad trees. The farmers get them away from their field. So the atad tree is harmful to fruit trees. The roots will suck up all the water. And this is going to play into the, uh, into the parable. You'll see it's, it's brilliant. So they're harmful. Nothing can, you're, if you're a fruit tree, you can't grow fruit underneath an atad. About the only thing, the only other thing it's good for is if you cut it down, the wood burns very well. So you get a lot of kindling. And um, this, by the way, is all from Noga Harvini. Um, the kindling is good. The fire burns very hot. 
So it is good for, for burning in a fire, and we'll see that in the parable as well. So not very fruitful. There's great shade. That's what everyone uses it for. You don't want to have an atad near your fruit trees, or they'll, they'll take all the water, but the wood is good for burning. And if we go back to this picture, you can see at the base of this tree down here, there's a whole bunch of shade. And if it's a hot day and the sun in Israel, you'll do anything to try to find some shade. So, okay, that's the atad. That's the one bush that we need to know. So if we go back to our text in Judges 9, so go to verse 7. If you have Judges 9, verse 7, because now we're going to go look at the parable. So this is now, this, this whole parable is against the guy Avi Melech who killed all his brothers. So when, verse 7, when Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. Verse 8. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. So now he's beginning the parable. So the trees want a king. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. So you have the olive tree. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up? Should I give my oil, which both gods and humans are honored by, to hold sway over the trees? Hey, I've got something that you is good for you. Why would I give up my, my good job here to go be a king? Okay, so he says no. Next, verse 10. Next, the tree said to the fig tree, come be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Next, verse 12, they said to the vine, come be our king. So now we're up to the grapevine. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? Right? These are all plants that produce good stuff. Okay, now comes the punchline here. Finally, and this is the NIV I'm reading, finally all the trees said to the... And mine says, Thornbush, the Atad, come be our king. So the Thornbush said to the trees, and this is where it, you have to know the, the tree. If you really want to anoint me king over you, come take refuge in my shade. Ah, that points us to that tree. Now, if you're a fruit tree, and you try to go live underneath an atad, what will happen? You die. You can't live underneath an atad. Fruit trees will die. So he says, look, yeah, if you really want me to be king, come live under my shade, which is death. And then it says, but if not, fire will come out of the atad, right? Let fire come out of the atad. So you can see that it's a good tree for fire. And consume the cedars of Lebanon. So the whole thing is, pay attention to who you're putting as leader, right? If you put someone in charge of you that has nothing to offer to begin with, why do you think they're going to be a good king? How do you expect to live underneath a king that can't provide anything for the people? Well, except for shade, but the trees can't live under the shade. So there's a lesson of choosing your leader, and it all has to do with this tree right here, the, the Atad tree, and who can or cannot live underneath that.
So it's a brilliant parable that I think even today people would say, yeah, there's a real warning for who you choose to to make your leader because if the person has nothing to offer and you choose them as your leader, it could be death or destruction for society. So, okay. So that's the parable. Uh, let me go. I want to show you one thing because the story of Abimelech ends with a measure for measure. And I've got this at the very bottom of your sheets, number seven. And measure for measure, of course, is God's cosmic justice. What you do to one person will be done to you. That's how God works. He's balancing the scales. And the text actually explicitly says that. So if I'm just going to put these up here. Verse 5 is the verse about him killing his brothers. And it says, on one stone, he murdered his 70 brothers. Now, why mention one stone for the, the place of the murder? You say, okay, well, how does Abimelech die? Because eventually, the people of Shechem don't like him anymore. And they get, they get into a, a, a bit of a war. Well, at the end of the story, verse 52 says this, Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it, but as he approached the tower, he was going to set it on fire. So he's like the Atad, he's, he's got fire. A woman dropped an upper millstone. So how did he, how did he kill his brothers? On a stone. How was he killed? By a stone. That's the measure for measure. That's how God repays you. And then it even says explicitly in verse 56, thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. So there's a bit of a even inclusio to this story as it's as the whole thing's being captured together. So anyways, I just wanted to point out that measure for measure at the end there. Okay. So quick review We've got those six cycles that happen. You're at peace. And of course, because you're at peace, you know, you can kind of see, we call it the greatest generation here in America. And the greatest generation became that way because they had to go through or were born in the Great Depression. And the unfortunate part of human beings is character is built through suffering and difficulty. So you had a whole generation of people that just worked hard. And when they finally came back to prosperous times, built America into being literally the greatest generation. A couple generations later, now there's nothing, there's no difficulty and you don't build character. And if you don't have character, well, then everything falls apart. So peace in the land can cause them to descend, do evil in the eyes of the Lord, then it descends even more because God sends an oppressor. So you become oppressed. At some point, it gets so bad, you cry out. Then God says, okay, and I'll send somebody. We don't know who it is yet, a deliverer. And that deliverer is going to lead you out and back to uh, God. And once you're back to God, then the place can return to peace. So that's a very important cycle for us to recognize. Then you go to the parable about this Atad tree. Be careful if you select the Atad tree as your leader. You can't grow underneath an Atad, even though the shade is attractive. That's the main gist of the parable. So those are the two big things from tonight. Next week, then, 
will take these, this idea of these cycles. There's six of them and they're descending, right? And we're going to go to the end of the book and say, what's happening towards the end of the book? Because as they're descending into chaos and you get to that very ending where they're, they switch the phrase to, in those days, Israel had no king. Even if you want to read, read the last sentence of Judges. Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. It was chaos. And then we'll see how that story connects to this idea of when countries fall apart, and then will be reconstituted again, and that reconstitution happens at, with the birth with Ruth, eventually the birth of a king, and that king will uh, come back around. So that's kind of how the Bible is flowing out. Okay, so hopefully that showed up clearly tonight, because I think once people see that cycle, and you recognize it in Judges, you see it in the narrative, it'll just pop out every time you're back there at, at Judges, and then you feel like, oh, Judges actually might make some sense to me, instead of this weird book of all these crazy stories. So, okay, that's part one of two. Next week, two of two, and we'll look at the end of the story. We hope you enjoyed this introductory lesson on the book of Judges and that it opens up the book of Judges for you. Once people see that there are these cycles happening throughout the book, it usually increases their awareness of the cycles that are happening around us all the time. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our channel, give us a thumbs up or leave a comment below. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, we would appreciate if you would take just a few seconds to rate our channel. And as you go out into the world, may the words of Numbers 6 be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Shalom.